there's a fading trend tradition um, that's being lost in many rural American churches today that it once used to be the highlight of uh, highlight and most attended service of the year. Uh, I haven't been able to find evidence of the tradition here at New Hope Church, but I wouldn't be surprised that in the 128 years of our existence since 1895, it didn't have some kind of place on our church calendar throughout the decades. The service, it went by many different names according to tradition, but what I found most common was along the lines of a a service entitled this, the prayer service for crops and industry. An annual service that everybody would meet at the church house, and they would have a dedicated service praying for crops and industry in the community. Matter of fact, this week I actually found a a surviving liturgy that I read earlier this week that survived almost 100, well, I guess just over 100 years now of how they would used to go through the service for praying for crops and industry. Traditionally, at the end of March, the beginning of April, depending upon that year's planting season, the whole community would meet at the church, read Scripture, confess sin, pray for a good yield, and sing praises to God. Here's a few lines from that old liturgy that I came across this week. Lord, you make pink flowers from a gray seed, an ear from a kernel, a carrot from a seed the size of a pinhead, an oak tree from an acorn. You have programmed your soil to provide food for your plants, wooden trees to make apples, feathered hens to lay eggs, grass-eating cows to give milk, and you, grand creator, you have us take care of your grand creation. There is something, at least to me, in this unassuming simplicity of the idea of this prayer service. Now again, I'll, I'll grant you, there are not many churches who are having the annual prayer service for crops and industry. Maybe it's just the nostalgic soul within me longing for a simpler time, but I think there is something more appealing than just that. There was a time, or at least it seems there was, where a group of people recognized their utter dependence on God for their living. And I don't know about you, but we just don't have that so much in our society. We live in the era of fast food and grocery stores and microwave culture. And maybe it was the Great Depression or the Dust Bowl, or maybe it was just a time where most people grew what they ate. Think about this. Before World War I, there were over 6.4 million farms in America. 6.4 million farms. There are fewer than a third of that today in America. That is mind-boggling. And we have much more in regards to population. Whatever the cause for people seeing their need of God and providing food, the the vast majority of us, we have lost that simple dependency on God for the bread we eat. I'll be honest with you, several weeks ago as I was laying out the sermons for our study through the Lord's Prayer, I kind of looked at this line, give us our Give us this day our daily bread, 
And I thought, that is, that is one line in the prayer that I've got covered. Um, you know, you're probably like me. I try to pray and, and ask the Lord to bless the food before, uh, before I eat. So th- obviously that's what this, this one line in the Lord's prayer means. And then I kind of work through, okay, how am I going to write a whole sermon, preach a whole sermon on make sure you pray before you eat your food? That seems a little much. You know, as we think about asking the Lord's blessing on our food, I want you to realize there is no command in Scripture for us to bow our heads and close our eyes before we partake of that very nutritional meal and ask the Lord to bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Lord, please change the molecular content of this Big Mac and and make it somehow provision for my body. There's nothing in Scripture that demands or commands you to do that. We do, however, have multiple times throughout God's Word where before eating, Jesus blessed and broke the food. If you're like me, you found that this simple practice of praying before eating, Lord, thank you for this food, it centers you and reminds you of who it is who has truly given you this gift. But I first approached this line in the model prayer as just a dismissive pray before you eat. I am convinced, however, though, through the last couple of weeks of study, that it goes far deeper than that. Give us this day our daily There's a few things I want to point out to you this morning, and the first of which is I want you to pay attention to the order of the Lord's Prayer. The order of it. When we pray, especially in a corporate sense, we focus on prayer requests, don't we? Um, There is nothing wrong with requesting prayer for particular needs. We do this multiple times a week here at New Hope. In fact, we have an entire service where we have a list of prayer requests and we pray through more often than not many of the needs that are on the list front and back and we also take other prayer requests from the congregation who are here. That's our Wednesday morning and evening Bible studies. And if you're not attending those, I encourage you to be a part of praying for the needs of the congregation. It's valuable. Oftentimes, we want others to pray for us, but we very rarely pray for the needs of others. But when we pray in a corporate setting, it is usually for the requests. But the danger in prayer requests is that that's all you pray about. And you come to God as some universal Santa Claus, and you hop up on his lap. And you say, I want this and that and this and this and that and that and this and this and that. And you go on for a few minutes and, Lord, you already know what I need. Why am I talking? That's the danger in praying solely for prayer requests. But in the model prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught something a little different than that. You see, up until this point in the model prayer, we have praised and proclaimed God's name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You you don't hear a request in there. All this is proclaiming and praising God's name. They're more celebrating who God is and acknowledging his goodwill and a better kingdom. Now the danger in this, when I talk about the order of 
this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is that you will see those first few lines, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You'll see that wrongly as, well, you have to butter God up before you really ask for the requests. That's, that's not the goal. That's not the point. We're not uh, daughters in the kingdom of, I have daughters, so I can say that. Dad, you're, you're so nice. Dad, well, can we do this this week? There's no buttering up that's taking place. This is much more than that. When I ask you to t- pay attention to the order of the Lord's Prayer and why it matters is because I want you to understand that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. After having just prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. What we are essentially asking God for is we are asking Him to give us physical strength and sustenance that's needed to accomplish His will and to help us be better ambassadors for His kingdom. Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, and give me the food that I need in order to do Your will and to be an ambassador of Your kingdom. Uh, Those of you who who know who I like to listen to and read after most, you've heard the name H.B. Charles Jr. a lot here recently. Uh, Pastor H.B. in Florida, he once told the story of an elderly church member who is getting, getting everything ready for her future funeral. She wanted to be meticulous and make sure that everything was, was ready. I've sat through several of those, of those meetings, and, and I encourage you to do that, to, to plan all that out. She wanted to underline the fact that she wanted him to preach the gospel. Praise God for people who say, at my funeral, preach the gospel. That is a great request. The gospel ought to be presented at every funeral that we ever attend because that's where it's needed most. But her reasoning in telling HB that you got to preach the gospel is because she said, I know that I have family members who have never heard the good news before. H.B. obviously had a pretty good relationship with her, and that's why he could kind of come alongside her and and say this, I guess. But he said, Sister, if you have family who have never heard the gospel before you die, that is not this preacher's fault. You cannot lay it on me. you got to preach the gospel because this is the only time they've... You have been living in front of them your entire life they should have heard the gospel from you. And that might be a little bit more direct than some of us would usually put it, but it's true all the same. Very often, we pray for God to do things, but we cannot be bothered to be the answer to our own prayer request. Lord, would you just encourage so-and-so today? That's a great prayer request. It's even better to stop by unannounced and just leave a gift on their porch and say, love you, praying for you. Lord, provide for sister so-and-so. Yeah, that's a great prayer. We ought to pray for the needs of others. But maybe in our praying that the Lord will provide for sister so-and-so, We might go without that week, some of the little extras that we tend to spend our money on, and we might give the excess to help be an answer to that request of, Lord, provide for her. Lord, 
Please save the lost. Put someone in their path to tell them about Jesus. What a great prayer. Have you ever thought that it's possible that the Lord has put people in your path for you to share the gospel with them today? That's what we mean when we talk about the order of the model prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, so God, give me the food and strength that I need in order to do these things. You, nowhere in this whole prayer will you find the word someone. <laughs> Lord, someone do this. Send someone. Have someone. Very often, if the Lord has burdened your heart to pray over something, the Lord has also called you to accomplish something. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me the strength to do your will, whatever it is today. So that's the order of the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to take a look more technically at the language of this line. You're going to find more on this inherent responsibility. I want you to key in on some possessive pronouns. I know that you're not in English class or grammar class. I apologize. But we pray, give us our daily bread. These possessive pronouns, give us our daily bread. If you were to just read this out of context, it sounds demanding, doesn't it? God, give us our bread. We parents are kind of leaning forward with raised eyebrows at this line, and we're saying uh, there should be a please in there somewhere. Give us this bread. Our, give us our daily bread, please. You could read this wrongly and say, God, give us what is rightfully ours. That's not right. If you're going to approach the throne of grace like that, Lord, I demand you blank. Um, Warn me before so I can scoot down on the pew because I don't want to get struck by the lightning when you pray that way. Oftentimes we do. We look at this and we take this whole personal responsibility thing too far. You know, in the early 90s, many Americans were getting incensed at the crass and oftentimes irreverent cartoon, The Simpsons. I remember sitting in children's church at a very young age and having our teacher using Bart Simpson's dinnertime prayer as a description of how bad things had gotten in America. Season two apparently had this scene where uh, Bart or Homer asks Bart to pray over the meal. The, the town pastor is there and so Bart says, sure dad. He bows his head and he says, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves so Thanks for nothing. And I remember um, my children's church teacher saying, that's just how horrible things have gotten in America. And you know, he's right. If that rubs you wrong, it, it should. It absolutely should. But lest we think that this is something that came out of the 1990s godless generation, I see your Simpsons reference and I raise you a much more respectable 1965 Shenandoah scene with a graying Jimmy Stewart at the head of his farm table making his family bow in prayer. I'll spare you the James Stewart uh, impression. I've been told it's one of my weakest ones where he says, Lord, 
We cleared the land, we plowed it, we sowed it, we harvested it, we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway. Lord, for the food we're about to eat, amen. Honestly, there is not much difference between the 90s Simpsons and Jimmy Stewart's character in Shenandoah. It might be a little more homely. We might love that scene a little bit more than we do the brash and crass Simpsons. But the sentiment is the same. God, I've done all this. I worked hard this week. So thanks for nothing. Give us this day our daily bread. I am convinced that this is not a give me what's mine demand against God. But I also don't think you can get away from the cry for justice. Because inherent to this text, I see the picture of a farmer looking over a sprouting crop, sweat pouring off of him, blistered hands, sunburnt neck, knowing that he has done everything within his ability to provide for his family, but still bowing and respectfully pleading with the Lord, Father, I have worked hard for this crop. Please give us what we have worked for. Give us this day our daily bread. It is not rightfully mine, but it is what I have labored for. I am responsible for this. As I've been working out in the yard this year, trying to get a few tomatoes, grapevines, and fruit trees to produce with not a lot of uh, success, I have oftentimes wondered what work must have been like in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. Just use your imagination with me for just a moment this morning. We know that Adam and Eve worked the land. They tended Eden. That was what they were commissioned by God to do, was to tend and keep the garden. But it seems like there was so much joy in their labor. I wonder, was the ground in Eden so fertile as C.S. Lewis imagined it in his Magician's Nephew novel, that if you dropped anything on the soil, it would just start, just start to grow where it was. So the kids dropped some caramels and a caramel tree grew, or they dropped some coins and a gold tree grew. I highly doubt it was that fantastical in the Garden of Eden. But it does seem that the ground was especially fertile in Eden. And that's why the Lord's curse upon Adam and man was so devastating. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God says because they had sinned against Him, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You see, the bread that we are praying for is not a free handout. This is not an excuse to not labor and provide for your family. Well, I'm just trusting the Lord that He'll provide. Yes, brother, do that. But also, labor, work is good. It must be labored for. 
Before the fall, it, it seems to me that eating was necessary, but almost solely an entertainment, a luxury, purely out of enjoyment. After the fall, Adam had to struggle with the ground. He had to labor over the plow. He had to pull the weeds and, and, and tug on the thorns. He had to plan out his crops and harvest, or he was going to die. This line in the Lord's Prayer is in response to sin's curse that's on all humanity. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So now, centuries, millennia after that, we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't encourage shirking responsibility, but neither does it make us the end all, be all of our efforts. We're not the sole provider. This was the prayer that I imagine Adam prayed often can you imagine having to provide for your family in a fallen world just days after the fall and the food's not coming as plenteous as it had been a week ago in the Eden Garden? I can see, Adam, give us this day our daily bread. Now look, I, I want to be painfully honest with you. I have lived a charmed life up to this point. More than most. I am very aware of that. I am like most, honestly, all of you, a result of our culture, who we like restaurants and grocery stores and quick and easy instant pop meals. I'm not heralding a recall to the days before the age of industry or age of technology or age of information. As much as I'd like to think that I'd be okay in that time period, I would starve to death. It would not look well in the mentor home. I do wonder, though, that with all the technology and all the convenience that we have in our lives, without any of the sweat from our brow, just a mere swipe of the credit card, no toiling for our food, I wonder if all humanity has been doing is really trying to throw off the curse that God instated so that we would continually depend upon Him for our daily bread. Well, I don't have to pray that. There's groceries at the store. I don't have to pray for the Lord to provide. i got a good job. For evidence of that, just ask yourself, when was the last time that you woke with that ache in your stomach knowing you had labored all week, but if God did not bless, you wouldn't eat? I'd go out on a limb and say that that has been rare, if ever an occasion, for us. And in that way, I don't know that any of us have truly prayed, give us this day our daily bread. I guess what I'm trying to say with all this is that in this line of the prayer, you see equal parts responsibility, justice, and a plea for provision. But the one pervading point is this utter dependence on the Lord. You know, Scripture's reference to bread, they are way too numerous throughout the Bible. Sometimes, whenever Scripture says bread, it could mean anything that you eat. Think of breaking bread. All that was was just a symbol of saying, sharing a meal together. But very often... Bread means bread in the Bible. 
I, I think its most important reference in all of Scripture is when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I say wilderness, but I want you to understand that when I say wilderness, we know that that means desert. Wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, I'm not a survivalist, nor am I uh, anyone who's ever wandered anywhere for, a certain, for that length of time. But the issues with wandering the desert for any amount of time is that there's little water, scant food, few natural resources to aid you. And yet, in this account, God provided for his people. Miraculously provided for them. You know, one of the things that we oftentimes look over in the account of the Exodus, and it's also picked up in Deuteronomy, is that God tells him, God tells the children of Israel that he would extend the life of their clothing. For 40 years, Junior didn't need a new pair of sandals. That astounds me, having daughters who need a new pair of shoes almost every month here lately. He preserved their clothing. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5 says. On numerous occasions, God brought water in the desert, whether it was sweetening the bitter pool that was at Marah, whenever he told Moses to, to cast in a palm tree and somehow miraculously that, that changed the, the tepid water to sweet. Or maybe he brought gushing water out of a split rock or to a spoken rock. But the provision that astounds me most is God's daily raining down bread from heaven for his children. The children of Israel, they would wind up calling this food manna, which if you do like a little bit of a word study on that word manna, you'll find that all it means is, what is it? <laughs> they walked out of their tents one morning and they saw a whole bunch of stuff on the ground and they said, manna, what is it? And Moses said, that's your meal. <laughs> I've ate a few things in my lifetime where I would say, what is it? But nothing like this. We don't know what this food was. Scripture only tells us in Exodus 16.31 that it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. But every morning, except on the Sabbath, the Israelites would wake up, they'd walk outside, and they would see covering the ground this bread from heaven. And they'd collect just enough food for their family for the day and they would wake up the next day and they would do the exact same thing for 40 years. Give us this day our daily bread. For me, this is the most unusual account of food in all of the Bible, but it was so important to the Israelites that a sample of this one-day expiration date food was commanded to be put in a jar and placed in the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to have to assume a little bit here for time's sake, but I hope that most of you realize that the Ark of the Covenant, whatever Indiana Jones taught you in, uh, back in the 80s, I hope you understand that it is representative of God's presence with mankind. And in this golden-laid box were a number of articles. Namely, there was a jar of manna placed in there with the tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments were written upon. And then there was also Aaron's budding rod. All of these put into the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the very presence of God with His people. There's a 
bunch of symbolism here and, and a lot of time that we could spend on it. It really warrants your own personal Bible study this week. But suffice it to say that in the Ark of the Covenant, you saw God's authority in the budding rod. You saw God's expectations in the Ten Commandments. And you saw God's provision in the manna. It's all represented there in the Ark of the Covenant. How would God relate to the children of Israel? He would tell them about his authority. He would lay out his expectations and he would provide for them when they had nothing. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is all of those things in every single way. When Israel questioned Aaron's authority to be their priest, God caused Aaron's dead staff piece of wood to spring to life again, bud and grow. I hope you see the significance of that. Not only was Jesus called the shoot of Jesse, springing from the dead line of kings and David, but Jesus also sprung to life again after having been dead and buried. He is true authority. This is the presence of God in Jesus. When all of humanity had broken every single aspect of God's law, both spirit and the letter of it, Jesus, the one and only God-man, sinless and perfectly holy, he walked our streets. And though he was broken by man, as were the tablets, he remains faithful, forgiving all who would repent and turn to him. He met every expectation of the law, and it is through him only that we can receive righteousness. And when Israel was starving in the wilderness, God rains down his provision through bread from heaven for them with manna. And when we, starving and sin-cursed human beings, had no way of surviving on our own, God literally rained down his Son from heaven for us. So when Jesus stood before the thousands of them, having just fed them with five loaves and two fish, he proclaims, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He means what he says. I am the bread of life. Those who will eat will never walk away hungry. He is God's perfect provision for a starving and sin-cursed humanity. I hope you see the ultimate symbol of all of this, Jesus being the bread of life. Each time we gather together as a congregation and take what we call the Lord's Supper, He invites us to symbolically partake in eating this bread. He calls his body. Take, eat. 
And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me, he proclaims. And so now, whenever we take communion together, and and I would add, sit down to any meal, we are reminded that Jesus is the only one who truly fills. He's the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the bread broken for your provision daily. When I say daily, I don't mean that the Lord is providing Himself broken afresh and anew daily. I don't think I'm stretching it when I say that the word daily really is one of the most significant parts of the whole phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Here's the thing, Christian. You come to Jesus once. You come to Christ once. The promise of never hungering again is because He daily provides for you when you come. This is not the picture of your dog, you pouring out a ton or a heap full of dog food because you're going to be away for a few hours in case he gets hungry. No, this is not just here, I've provided all this for you, you're on your own. We come to him daily and he daily provides us from his provision. This is not some lump sum. I got all of Jesus that I needed when I got saved. This is my whole life is live now in relationship with him and I don't want to be apart from him. I am daily receiving sustenance from him and his word. He's our daily provision. Brother Jeff led us in several songs this morning that that shout this idea of daily provision. But there is none greater in my estimation than Carolina Sandelberg's Swedish hymn, Day by Day. Take your hymn book out, if you will, and look at hymn number 80. And let me tell you a little bit of the background of how we got this precious song. Obviously, as I said, she lived in Sweden in the 1800s. Carolina, she was, called, she was called Lena by all who knew her in the town. She was adored by most in her small village because she was the pastor's daughter. The Lutheran church there, the only church in town, she was known by everybody, and everybody loved her. And their love for her was probably heightened because of how frail she was. She was sickly for the vast majority of her life, but she had this robust, intense love for religious art. She wrote over 600 hymns in her lifetime. 600. But day by day is, at least for me, among her most known and widely sung. I think it's probably because this song is born out of great anxiety and tragedy. When Lena was 26, she and her father Jonas, the pastor of the town, shoved off one morning in a skiff for a day together out on the water. We never really got the full story and some of the bi- biographical sketch that's been left behind of her, but somehow, some way, the boat lurched unexpectedly and Jonas was thrown overboard. 
And Lena, who I already told you was sickly and very weak the majority of her life, she struggled for a long time trying to get her dad to safety. And she could not. And she, with her own eyes, saw her father drown to death. She published 14 poems and hymns following that event that year. The majority of them pleading out to God for help. But in this horrible tragedy came the words, Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Day by My Father's wise bestowment. Her father wasn't around any longer. And yet she was provided for by her true and right and heavenly Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Christian, without belaboring the point. There is responsibility. There is a plea for justice. But I hope you understand. There is this cry, Lord, provide. Yes, for my physical needs. Yes, I need food for my body. But I have spiritual needs that only you can supply. Thanks for listening to New Hope Church's podcast. If you would like to listen to more content from our church, follow us at newhopefwbc.com.